if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. We have Christoph Hess back again today on Horse Chats. But before we do that, I'd just like to remind you that today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. The vision of International Horse College is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people. Have a look now, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Now, just getting back to Christoph, before I um, bring Christoph on, I think everyone in the horse world knows Christoph, but I know that there's some disciplines that are apart from classical and people who are just into horses. But um, if you'd like to go back and have a listen to the introduction that we did with Christoph, he basically, number 702, and Christoph says that he's been extremely lucky spending almost 40 years working for the German Equestrian Federation, combining his hobby and his workplace. Now, Christoph's retired now, which I think is not wonderful so much that he's retired, but wonderful that he's got all this extra time that he can talk to us and give us all of his valuable information that he's developed over many, many years as being an international trainer, judge, coach. Um, anyway, we will introduce Christoph. How are you tonight, Christoph? Yeah, thank you very much. I'm very fine. And when when I yeah uh, got up uh, half an hour ago, because it's very, very early in Germany, we have frozen outside where I'm living. I'm living in Warndorf, which is capital of Forces. It's in the northwest part of Germany, and it's just... Uh, yeah, it's dark, really dark, and um, uh, when are the frozen today, first night, I think we had uh, Celsius minus temperature, temperatures, one or two degrees minus, and when I looked to the news and I wanted to hear and to listen and to see who was the new American president, I couldn't find it. Uh, Mr. Trump said that he is a winner. Of the election, and we are in yeah, very excited. Will it be Biden or will it still be Trump? So therefore, it's something that it's, it's unbelievable for us that they need so much time, uh, yeah, to count all these votes as um, pieces. So therefore, it's it's very interesting for us. So that's a little bit the situation here in Germany. And now I'm that we are back to reality, to our horses, which is amazing. And therefore, I love it. Uh, yeah, to give some answers to the questions you will ask me. You talk about the cold weather. It reminds me of, you know, the time that I did spend in the UK and Europe. And um, I appreciate the weather in Queensland, you know, so up this morning with the horses and it was, you know, fresh and nice to work them. But uh, then during the day, yeah, it's a bit hot and it's nice to just come inside and in the cool. <laughs> so it's a little bit different, the weather. Mm. Yeah, and we have just to say uh, now, um, yeah, more um, a problem which we have. We are now what we had in Melbourne for many, many weeks. We have now, yeah, I would say a light lockdown in Germany and in other parts of Europe as well because of... Uh, Corona pandemic and um, yeah and today we have I think nearly nearly twenty thousand just nineteen thousand something 
infections, new infections last day or yesterday. So that, and, and you had the same problem uh, yeah, three, four months ago or two months ago. And now because of the hot weather, I think it will be much better in Australia and especially in Queensland. So that's, I think, the big challenge which we have now because now we get winter and now we get more problems into this direction as well. Yes, I think we've been very lucky in Queensland. You know, it's only visitors returning from overseas now that there's a problem. Yeah. Christoph, today we're going to talk about the paces, the paces and gates. Okay. So I know that, you know, just in our pre-chat, we talked about, you know, like in English, it's canter and gallop, whereas in German, it's gallop and gallop. Um, we talk about paces and gates. So, so there's going to be times where I'm going to say, can you just explain the difference between, first of all, paces and gates, but also even if we start with walk, trot, canter, and if we go into gallop, you know, almost think that someone's coming in and they might just not had the exposure to some of the terms that we have. You know, we have people from all over, you know, so while I think that we have quite a lot that have got classical backgrounds, we have people that have ridden stock horse and grown up and, you know, I mean, I've taught people who've been riding horses for 20 years and not known what a diagonal was, not known about changing diagonals and wondering why their horse kept striking off on the same canter lead all the time. Well, they didn't realise that some of the work they could do in the trot. So we've got a wide variety of people with an interest in horses, but sometimes we've just got to explain it a little bit more, you know, and get a bit more, um, more depth, I think, and take advantage of all your knowledge that you have, that you can explain it in such a way that even people who've got, I understand what the walk, the trot, the canter are, to just explain it a little more so they can develop their knowledge as well. So if that's okay, can you explain the gates and the paces? Yes, I try it. Um, to be honest, I don't know what's really looking for the academic point of view, the difference between gate and paces, but I can explain, this is what I want to start, to explain uh, the importance of the gates and or paces. And um, I think this is uh, not looking just from the dosage judges and dosage trainers' point of view and dosage riders' point of view. Uh, I think um, uh, it's good when everybody looks into the fields, and you can do this in Australia when you look to the stock horses when they are outside in the fields, or you look uh, to warm blood or thoroughbred horses when they are outside in the fields. A horse wants to move in in yeah with regularity, with rhythm, in walk, trot, and canter when the horse is outside. It's when the horse is running and uh, by himself or herself, um, the horse wants to do this um, in a good rhythm. And if the horse is not uh, has not um, a lameness or so, then you see that the horse is absolutely regular when the horse is moving. So that's, I think, very, very important that we have to realize it. And uh, looking from the judges, trainers, and especially riders' point of view, we have always realized that there is a very close connection between uh, the regularity, the rhythm, and what I think is very important, the tempo. But, um, at the end of the day, when we watch horses outside, we see that they, when they are not running away, that they trot or walk or canter in, in a similar tempo. When you watch uh, uh, horses, as in horses who are not just outside for 
couple of hours, then they go to the stables where they are out the whole day. They say move very quiet and uh, if, they, if possible, long distance, uh, not very fast, uh, but always in a good tempo and or in a, in a similar tempo and uh, even in rhythm and regularity. And this is what we have to have in mind when we sit in the saddle or when we walk, uh, when we work our horses or train our horses from the ground, uh, that um, there is a very, that we, that we have this in, in our ideas when we train, that there is a very close connection between rhythm regularity on one side and tempo on the other side. So that's for me what is very important. And then, the second thing I want to uh, underline is that horses love um, to be in a good rhythm and and, regul and, and move reg with good regularity. Why? Because this gives them uh, a feeling of um, a convenience. A horse will be will not have a good feeling when they then when they ride fast and slow and uh, and up. And down and bigger and bigger and smaller. That's not a problem. And smaller steps. But the problem is always when you do it fast and slow and fast and slow. Therefore, this maybe the, you know from show jumps or or this is possible as well. But you have to have to do it in the in, um, always with a good regularity. But if you don't give the horse a good feeling of regularity and rhythm when you don't sit as an example proper into the horse's movements then the horse gets an unconvenient feeling why because horse always wants to come with the rider who is sitting in the saddle or without the saddle and uh, that they are in balance so therefore the next uh, word we have to have in mind when we talk about gates persons there is a balance um, uh, between the horse and the rider. A rider who is not in balance is, for a horse, I would say a little bit in the direction of cruel because uh, the horse is unable to find a good rhythm when the, horse, when the rider is always sitting to one side or is always against the horse's movement or is always bringing his weight in an Unconvenient way into the saddle uh, uh, against the horse's movement. This makes it very, very difficult for the uh, horse to find a good rhythm, a good regularity, and this is makes horses unhappy. So therefore, to get a happy horse, and a happy horse is at the end of the day a healthy horse. Happiness, and I said it in one of the podcasts earlier, happiness and to be healthy are very close connected. So therefore, we have to give the horse a good feeling when we are sitting in the saddle. And rhythm and regularity in the gates and paces are, from my point of view, one of the keys. That's one of the most important key points which we have in mind when we school um, uh, our horses and when we ride our horses. And this means all kind of horses from stock horse, uh, quarter horses, uh, warm blood, uh, turbot horses, and so on, like cross horses. Um, 
uh, or a cross also so a cross between thoroughbred and warm blood as an example and all disciplines short jumping venting dressage and uh, carriage driving endurance and so on they i think that's what we have to have in mind uh, when we school our horses when we watch our horses and uh, yeah when we watch the body language of the horse the more with the rhythm, the regularity in the gates, the more happy the horse is when we watch the body language, then we see that the horse looks happy when we do it in a positive way. Yeah. I think any horse person is going to think about when their horse is happy and, oh, yes, it is, you know, that, that rhythm, the regularity. Um, yeah. Now... The actual movement, is that going to change between walk, trot and canter? Is it, you know, we keep putting these all together in the same or will you differentiate a little bit between the walk, the trot and the canter? Well, first of all, I have to say it's the same in all three gates. That's uh, that's, 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 uh, the red line. And um, maybe I can at one idea which is general important. Uh, whenever we later on have to ride an, a special exercise, maybe shoulder in or leg kneeling or um, big circle or small circle and so on, the highest goal is that we do it in, in a good rhythm with good regularity. And the first of all, we have to have clear Paces. And this is important in other disciplines as well. When you want to, to jump a fence, first of all, you need a good trot or a good canter, mainly canter. A good canter, which is a good canter for a jump with one meter or one meter fifty. You need a good canter with, with good forward tendency, not running, but with good uh, clear um, uh, strides. Um, uh, this is important. Otherwise, it will not work when you uh, ride uh, with, with rain back tendency, uh, always with a short rain, and the horse will find a good canter with good balance and in a positive way, good forward tendency or with good energy. The horse will not be able to jump the fence properly. So therefore, this is the highest goal to give the horse a convenient feel- feeling in these three gates, and this is for me the red line in walk, trot, and canter. Clear rhythm, four beat rhythm in walk, two beat rhythm in trot, and three beat rhythm in canter. Very good. Very. Yeah, you know, I love the way you explain the riding the movements. Now you you make a difference between riding the movements and training the movements. Are we talking about a trainer on the ground, or are we talking about riding? You know, say if we're at a competition, we might ride, but then think, I've got to do a little bit more training on that particular pace or at home. Is there a difference there between riding and training or uh, while we ride, or are you talking about training when someone's off the ground and watching? Yeah, I thought, um, that, that's a very good question, and it depends a little bit which discipline I'm training for and which age the horse is and how the horse is trained. Maybe I, I start with the walk. I think we, we have to look to the gates in a different way. Either the walk, I said it's a four-beat rhythm, 
And I think in walk, we have to realize that for me, walk is, and this is just a personal opinion, but I'm, I'm very sure that, that I'm quite right with my idea, that the walk is in, in, a, in a way uh, the mirror of the world of the training. A well-trained horse in trot and canter, or in general, a well-trained horse, will have, at the end of the day, a good walk. To be honest, not all has, horses has, by nature, a good walk with clear rhythm, with good activity, and with good covering ground and over-tracking, because these are the criteria that judges are looking for. Some horses um, maybe have a rhythm, they are active, but they are limited um, uh, in the possibility of overtracking and covering ground, they don't come very much out of the shoulder. But that's that's okay. Talent, they are talented more or more untalented. But the level they are looking from the rider's point of view, looking from the trainer's point of view, this uh, can be still a good walk. Looking from the judge's point of view, you would say, okay, more covering ground than over-tracking if the walk is limited. But if you are doing a cut and canter walk, then at the end, you get a walk, which is for this special horse, the optimum walk. This to realize, and there's a difference between maybe judges who look what is the best walk looking from the 10.0 uh, uh, possibility and uh, the trainer and the rider is looking from the possibility which your heart is able to produce. There's often, or not often, there's always a difference as we have to realize. And maybe I just did explain it for walk, and this is in a special way the, with nearly similar in trot and canter. And therefore, I just want to, uh, to um, give a summary again. Uh, the walk is this it's by experience the mirror of good training canter and trot and when you did this in a good way then as a result you will get a good walk and in the walk looking from the right point of view you have to be very careful to ride with short lengths at the beginning because when the horse is not really balanced when the horse is not trained enough when the horse is not um, properly in front of the rider's uh, driving aids, then the horse is unable to use the neck to balance the whole body. If the horse is not balanced, then you can get really problems. You can get the problem that the horse will be not in a clear four-beat rhythm, and then you will get a lateral walk, which is into the direction of pass steps, and this is this is a very big problem. So therefore, gives the horse, and, and then you will get marked lower than a five. And therefore, gives the horse a chance to use the neck to balance the whole body. This is for me in the walk very very important. And therefore, don't touch the mouse. Don't ride a young horse, especially a young horse with short reins. Gives the horse a chance in the walk. <coughs> yeah, to do big steps. I always, when I'm looking from the trainer's point, I would say, uh, gives the horse a chance for a true marching walk. I like this walk uh, feeling. 
then you see that the horse has really big steps and um, yeah, the rider is able to produce more. This is the feeling the rider needs and when he has this feeling, then at the end of the day, you will a lovely walk and judges will give high scores. Okay, okay, very good. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Now, just thinking about training, you know, like people first start off to ride and they might have to be on the lunge because they can't even turn their horse and trot at the same time and then progressively get better and better and better. But what sort of skills should the rider have before you could consider them able to train a horse? You know, like, I don't know, they're almost like a passenger. They're, They're sitting there and they're not able to improve the horse. But if they're going to improve the horse and train the horse, what level of skills should they have before they can start doing any training? Yeah, uh, you, you give me, or you ask really, really good questions. <laughs> Thank and you. I see that you are really a true horse person and that you give questions with your brain and with your heart. I love it um, uh, to listen to your questions. Yeah, uh, I think that, that, that's the main point. That's the second very big key point. Many riders, they think that's always the horse to change. A spider and a rider's position. And I know years ago, years ago, we had Richard Weiss um, in Germany and he was uh, giving us lectures how to sit on the horse and what would happen if if the rider is not sitting properly. Richard from Australia and um, to be honest, I don't know what he's doing now. I, I, he's not in my focus now. It's a shame, but he was in Germany several times, and it was really amazing the time this was him. But he was exactly on the on, on, on the same page as we are since generations uh, of of trainers, and judges, and writers. And I think the most important part before we talk about gates and paces is the rider. We talk about the rider and the horse, which is ridden or trained by someone who is not, and these are the two criteria which are important, uh, by a rider who is not subtle or relaxed in the saddle, and a rider who is not in balance in the saddle, that's cool for the horse. And the horse with the best gates and paces is unable to show paces with a good quality uh, when the horse is not supple and uh, balanced in the saddle. So therefore, before a rider wants to develop paces and gates, um, it's very, very important that he is in balance, or he or she is in balance uh, himself or herself and uh, supple in the saddle. Otherwise, no chance. 
You can buy the very best horse with millions of Australian dollars when you are not sitting independent in the saddle. When you, for, as an example, use your reins to find balance in the saddle, no chance to develop gates. Then you will buy a horse for millions of Australian dollars and when we both are coming a couple of days, not weeks, not years later, we don't um, uh, think that's the same horse which was trained for maybe by a brilliant rider looking from uh, the way he or she was riding the horse uh, to a bad fit rider. No chance that the horse will stay at the level uh, which the horse had before. So therefore, that's for me another very uh, important uh, idea. Um, the better the rider is sitting in the saddle, the better his balance is and his relaxation of happiness is, the better or the easier um, he will uh, develop the gait. So therefore, there's a very close connection between the position of the rider and the saddle and the way how he or she is using the aids, uh, mainly the driving aids, uh, and um, and the way of moving and showing gates and paces. Okay. Yep. Yep. Now we'd sort of talked about the walk and the walk being a four beat gate. But going on, if we're going to train, say the halt, you know, say we've got the rider who's ready to be able to train or someone who is already there, but they want to refine their aids. And we're talking about the halt and the rein back. What sort of things do we need to know about the halt and the rein back? You know, how do we ride these movements? How do we train the halt and the rein back? Uh, before I, I give an answer, I want just to say a good international uh, German judge always said to me, Christoph, as the horses are in the halt, they are move. And this is a second thing. When I say Walk is very much the mirror of a well-trained horse. I would say the way a horse is in the world. Is the horse in balance or is the horse not in balance? Is the horse quiet and relaxed or is the horse not quiet and relaxed? When you look from this angle, this point of view, you will see, okay? Uh, therefore, it's very important uh, uh, to watch the horse and each uh, uh, the test, the sash test, starts with the horse. And then the judges see, yeah, is the horse trained into the right direction or is the horse not trained in the right direction? And to be honest, the horse and the horse is always the first impression. And as we know, in life, there is not a second first impression. So therefore, it is very important to school your horse uh, in the halt as well. And What's part of the halt? Uh, first, it is the transition to halt. Is this a smooth transition? Is this a transition with driving edge? Is this a transition without using the reins? Or is it uh, something uh, when the rider wants to stop the horse and is using in a very intensive way the reins, which would be very bad? So therefore, I think, from my point of view, it's very, very important to realize that a good halt is like good riding. You have to ride the halt. It's not just 
stopping nozzles rains. No, you ride into the horse. Uh, it was a hard, it more difficult exercises from canter, a little bit easier from trot, and then very easy from walk. Because from canter to halt, it is very difficult to do it in a smooth way. And I love it. And I judge thousands of eventing riders very often from Australia as well and Pure Dressage as well. Uh, coming from canter to halt, and especially when you have a pure thoroughbred horse coming into the arena and the train for a four or a five five star eventing competition, full of energy with a very, very good condition, come into the arena on center line and at X, a smooth transition to halt. That is for me very a really big challenge. And uh, then you see very much first impression, very much how the harmony between a horse and the rider is. And is the rider really able to ride with driving aids, the transition to halt, which is the key and the secret of um, a good halt at the end of the day. So therefore, it's for me very, very important to do this in a good way, horse-friendly way, smooth way, uh, otherwise it will not work. Yeah. I love the way when you talk, Christoph, that you explain it so well and, and the image is in my mind, you know, I mean, already the horse is coming in and already at a top-class competition because of the just the way you explain it, you know, that riding the horse forward and coming in canter down the centre line. Yeah, yeah. What about the rain back? Say we've got the halt, an established halt, and we're asking for rain back. You know, we've talked about the forward driving. Yeah, exactly. It's a forward driving. I don't know whether the word rain back gives the rider the right feeling what to do. I think you have to, as a rider, you have to have the feeling I am riding backwards, but with forward tendency. Maybe this sounds a little bit unreal, what I'm saying. Forward tendency, uh, to ride with forward tendency backwards. It means that the horse has to be truly in front of the rider at his or at her driving aids. When you don't do, when you are not able to do this, then you can't ride a proper rein back. And rain back is a movement um, as trot, two-beat rhythm, not four-beat rhythm as we had uh, in the walk. In trot, we have a two-beat rhythm. And rain back is, you can say, trot backwards without a moment of suspension. In trot, we have a two-beat rhythm with a moment of suspension. And rain back is, is two-beat rhythm without a moment of suspension. And the more soft the rider is able to transition, the more soft the rider is able to come from walk, trot, or canter into the hall, the more he or she is able to ride, and I want to underline for it, to ride backwards. This is important, and uh, when you school it, it is very important that you uh, don't start uh, with rain back too early, uh, uh, it's better you start a little bit later with your horse and have a very smooth, a well-trained horse in smooth transitions. The smoother the transitions, the easier it will be to ride backwards. 
And um, in the beginning, you need an assistant from the ground who helps a little bit, but in a very friendly way. And then you have the feeling, oh, my horse is not uh, willing. And maybe I would and, uh, add the word uh, and able uh, to move backwards under the saddle. Then um, maybe you would have to ask yourself, is my horse trained uh, properly um, in a very smooth way so that uh, I'm able to in a smooth uh, trained with transitions in a smooth way. That's what I wanted to say. Is it, is it able to do uh, yeah, a smooth transitions? And, and this is the key um, for good rain back, smooth transitions between all gates and tempi or temp, uh, from medium canter to, to uh, collected canter and from canter to trot and from trot to walk and from trot to halt and so on. These exercises, these smooth trans uh, these transitions have to be very, very smooth, not uh, produced with the reins, with the rider's hands. And when they are smooth, uh, then uh, the rider is able, at the end of the day, in the beginning, with an assistant uh, uh, to train rain back, and you have to do it in a very nice, soft way. And then I think all horses, more and more horses, will learn it. Some are doing it better, some are doing it not so very well. So the end of um, that <coughs> career as a, a ridden horse. But I think all horses, more or less all horses, are able to learn rain back. Okay. Now, say we've got a horse that, you know, it's already an established horse, but it comes into the halt or starts the rain back off with his head, wants to put his head down almost between his knees and run backwards or throw his head up in the air and run backwards or go crooked or what, what do we do? Where have we missed here? in their training, we've obviously missed something before we start the rain back or have we started the rain back too early? What should we have established or what skills should we have done or the horse has to know before we start rain back? If we've got these problems within the rain back, what do we do? How can we correct them? Yeah, I think that's another very good question and I can give, first of all, a general answer. I think when you have problems like this in rain back, then you have to realize that when you want to correct these kind of challenges or problems, in the beginning you shouldn't correct it in Rainback itself. You should correct it looking from the basics point of view. Uh, you have to, to make the basics better. And this is what I tried to explain when I had given the answer a question before, uh, that the better the transitions are between canter and trot and walk and so on, the better these kind of transitions are, the more easy it is to write a smooth, correct, uh, straight, obedient uh, rainback. And when you have problems, as you have uh, asked, uh, then it's from my point of view, not uh, useful now to write 100 uh, times rain back. No, you have to run 100 times smooth transitions before you ask again for rain back. And then we have smaller mistakes, which is the horse is not crooked, but willing to go backwards. Uh, 
And on the other side, you ask that there are really major problems or major challenges, and these major challenges are very much difficult, or very more difficult um, uh, to correct. And when you want, in, in general, uh, to correct things, don't correct these. Um, just the exercises, no. Look to the basics point of view and make the basics better and then ask again for rain neck as an example. And the same thing is for flying changes or half passes or shoulder in and so on. When there are basic problems, first bring the basics under control and then ask again for the movement in, in, in this situation um, for rain back. Okay, beautiful. Christoph, you know, just going back, you've always talked about the basics. And I know that in um, the second time you came on, you, we talked about the foundation training for the rider. And while we might talk about, you know, horses doing canter halt or horses doing flying changes, you still keep going back to get the basics right. And the foundation training is just so essential, so essential to do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this is essential looking from the rider's point of view and looking from the horse's point of view as well. Also from both points of view. Always back to the roots and then, uh, uh, then you can ask for special exercises. Yeah, yeah. So say we've got the halt, the rain back, and, you know, we've got this very good walk. We've got a very good walk because we've trained the trot and the canter. And we're thinking about pirouettes, if I just sort of group those together. Just walk pirouettes. Can you talk to us a little bit about what we need to see in the walk pirouette, how we ride them, train it? Yeah, just just the walk pirouette, not the canter pirouette at this stage. No, um, I think walk pirouette is, is, from my point of view, the biggest challenge for the rider on this level. Other when you have this uh, medium level and you have to ask in tests, or walk pirouettes, and um, uh, that is more a rider's exercise than a horse's exercise. Okay, the horse has to do it, but uh, the rider has to be able to use his or her aids in a very uh, smooth, soft, and um, well with a very, very good uh, feeling because. Uh, he has or she has to give all aids uh, in a very short moment with a very, very high level of sensitivity. That's for me very, very important. And riders well, very well trained looking from the suppleness point of view, relaxation's point of view, balance's point of view. They are the riders who are able uh, to ride the purettes uh, which are possible. So what is important? First of all, looking uh, from the paces and gates point of view, you need a clear four-beat rhythm. And before uh, the rider starts the period, uh, he has or she has um, to give the horse the walk with a good collection. And that's quite important, or that's very important, that this is asked uh, in a clear rhythm and important is maintaining the rhythm and the tempo. You need in the corrected walk enough activity. Not, it's not a slow motion version of walk. No, it's an 
active work in the clear four beat rhythm. That's necessary. And then he or she has to start uh, the movement a little bit with shoulder in front or shoulder in tendency so that the horse is straight and that the uh, um, horse starts uh, with the forehand to turn um, around the hind legs. And the hind legs have to be active and the judges are looking very carefully is the horse in a clear, clean um, four-beat rhythm as the rhythm was clear and clean before uh, uh, this exercise and after this exercise. That's very important. And then, okay, the smaller it is, the better. And in the beginning, it can be a little bit bigger. And um, I love to school it uh, in the way that you are asking before you ask for a total period. Um, you ask just for a quarter of a period, just one or two steps, and then go out. And then again, quarter of a period, and then go out as a rider and finish the period. That's, uh, for me, the 10.0 uh, way to school uh, this exercise, uh, these kind of exercises that's similar in, in the canter periods later on as well. Therefore, for me, uh, looking from the point of view, that's an excellent movement. It gives the rider uh, a high level, or it gives the rider the feeling, I have to, to say, uh, the feeling of uh, a good sensitivity in the saddle, therefore looking from the learnings and trainings point of view, it is really uh, very useful to, to ride uh, quite often periods in walk with young riders so that they get the right feeling uh, for giving the aids in a very, very sensitive way, effective and sensitive way in the same time and therefore they are able to write good uh, periods and walk then later on they will be able to write good corners they will be able to write good uh, big and small circles they are able to write at the end of the day good lateral work shoulder in half passes around uh, their travel and they are able to turn the horses in jumping and uh, cross country competitions and so on also, this is one of the very important key movements which we have for learning horses and learning riders. That's a wonderful um, one to finish with then. You know, I think people can have a little bit of homework and, and just, I mean, again, you know, as you were describing it, I was thinking, yep, the shoulder in, the, you know, the walk, the preparation. Um, you just explained it all so well but explain it so well that you have to be thinking about it as you're going. You know, sort of chat, we need to go back and, and listen. If you're having a problem with any of these movements, I urge you to go back and re-listen. And I think we're going to do a couple more. I think, Christoph, that's wonderful for today. But I think next month you're going to come back and talk about a couple of other things as well. I think, you know, the difference between leg yielding and shoulder in as an example, I think is a very good one. Yeah, yeah. So if you're interested in um, listening to some more, which I'm sure you are, come back, listen again next month, and uh, we'll talk about leg yield and shoulder in. You know, there's sometimes a little bit of confusion between the two. Or go back and just listen to the, you know, what Christoph's got to say about the gates and the paces and, and how important it is to 
get the halt established and the rain back and the pirouettes and, um, you know, just sort of going on from there and thinking about having that feeling when you're training your horse. Christoph, thank you again for coming on and I'm certainly looking forward to our next chat. You take care and stay well. Yeah, thank you very much uh, that uh, I could expand these uh, kind of sizes and gates and paces. Yeah, uh, have a good evening. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward when we have our next session on Monday at the same time. Perfect. All right, I'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.